where we hope to shed light on one of the hardest competitions an athlete will ever face, the matchup against their own mind. I'm Kat, and today I'm here with Emily Barnhart, who is a registered dietitian working with athletes, and she runs her own private practice that is called Injury RD, where she works from the point of surgery to an athlete's return to play. She also works with non-injured recovering athletes um, and has worked with general athletes throughout her career during the episode we talk we talk about a lot of different things but we really really focus on the impact of food and how it can have an impact on your performance as an athlete and as a human nutrition how each person's needs are unique and how she helps set her players bodies up for success in the healing process I think this episode has a ton of really, really good information and good tips, um, especially if, you know, your coach has ever come to you and says you need to hit a certain weight or, you know, I think as athletes, we have a pressure to look a certain type of way based on whether it be our position, our sport, being a female athlete, being a male athlete. Um, I think it comes from a ton of different angles, but we cover we cover a lot of ground and I'm really excited for everyone to hear this episode. So with that, let's get right into it. Thank you so much for coming on the mental matchup. I am extremely excited to chat with you and, you know, learn, learn a lot. And I think also like give a lot to our audience who may be listening. Um, but to, to kick us off, can you give a little bit of an introduction of who you are, what you do? Hi. Yeah. My name is Emily Barnhart. I'm a registered dietitian and I work with athletes. Specifically, I have a private practice that is called the Injury RD. So I work with injured athletes, um, usually from point of surgery to their return to play. Um, But of course, I've worked with um, kind of general athletes in the past. I myself was a gymnast and then I was a cheerleader in college. So you can imagine maybe why I'm so passionate about food and nutrition And then I worked at the University of Virginia with, uh, you know, a lot of their athletics, but mostly with their football team. And then I worked in professional baseball and I really kind of missed the female side of it. I wanted to get back into working with some female athletes, again, just based on my personal experience and why I got into all of this. Uh, So yeah, I I started my private practice and I have a contract. with USA Volleyball. So I get to do some stuff with Team USA, which is new for me and super, super cool. So sick. Um, where, how did you like, how did you even get into sports nutrition in terms of like the actual like schooling? Not necessarily like, oh, I was passionate about it, but like what were like the steps and like the learning and schooling involved? Yeah, it's, it's so confusing. And every dietitian you follow online is like, you must speak to a dietitian. We are so much better than nutritionists, which, 
you know, there's some politics and, and stuff like that in there, but everyone's like, why, what's the difference? So for me, my path is a little bit different in undergrad. I studied exercise science and I originally wanted to be a strength coach. Um, and then, uh, I did a strength and conditioning internship with a football team. And I learned very, very quickly that I am not the right personality for that. Um, so then I was like, oh, I'll do research. And I went to grad school at the Ohio State to, <laughs> sorry, I just lost half your listeners. Um, but I went to grad school at Ohio State and I thought, you know, I'll get my PhD. I was really interested in hormone research and, and cortisol and some of that kind of stuff. Um, but Ohio State has a really awesome sports nutrition program, and I got involved with them and found out that this was a path. So what it takes to become a registered dietitian is you have to do all of your undergrad classes in an accredited program. So I got to finish that up at Ohio State. Um, so that's more than just nutrition. We do psych. We do like some counseling stuff because half of what we do is not just nutrition. It's like basically therapy, right? Um, and then all the sciences. And then from there, you apply to a dietetic internship, um, which if you know anything about like med school, it's kind of similar to that where you apply, you rank your programs, your programs rank you and there's a match day and it's very, very stressful. And there's lots of tears, happy and sad. Um, yes, it's very stressful and unfortunate, but that's the way it works. So then I went to University of Houston and did my dietetic internship through that hospital program, which is so fun because I got to see like the children's hospital and I got to spend some time in an eating disorder clinic and I got to spend some time with athletes at the University of Houston. And then from there, <laughs> you take a national board exam and then finally you can call yourself a dietitian and legally you can work one-on-one -on -one with people. Wow. Okay. So you, <laughs> so basically yeah. we spend a lot of money and way too much time in school, <laughs> but then I guess it like it. Yeah, no, I feel like, yeah, we won't, we don't have to get into the brass tacks <laughs> of school, but okay. So now that we know that you're like overqualified and know what you're talking about, can we, I want to just dive right into like kind of your experience in this field and dealing with athletes and I guess my first question is how important is food and is fueling your body as an athlete? Well, obviously I'm a little biased here because that's what I care about. And that's what I talk about every single day. And I could talk about this forever, but food in general, other than sleep, it's the only thing that you are doing every single day. So of course it has a huge you know, impact on yourself as a human and then how you are choosing to fuel yourself for your specific sport. Cause there's not just sports nutrition, there's like marathon and triathlon nutrition, and then there's football offensive line nutrition, and then there's volleyball nutrition. And even within volleyball, the nutrition for each position is different. So it's so specific and so individualized and learning, you know, what you need for your specific energy systems of your sport is so impactful. And then of course, what I do with injuries, you know, you can never prevent injuries and crazy things happen, but there is a lot of research that if you 
are missing certain things in your diet or you are eating a certain way, sometimes it's not a matter of if, but when you get hurt. And obviously injuries have a huge impact on your athletic career. I'm someone that when I got hurt, I never really came back. So it was a huge impact on my athletic career. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm not biased. I feel like I've seen firsthand, like the power of nutrition and like fueling your body. And I know even like now, not even being an athlete, like I feel better when I eat at like certain times during the day. Like I know I'm not, if I eat, I'm going down a rabbit hole, but like for my specific body, this is not me giving any advice to other people listening, but like if I eat in the morning, a lot of time, I don't feel good. Like I feel heavy. I feel like weighed down. Like I eat certain foods at certain times, just because I know through like practice and working like in college with my nutritionist at that time, like what works for me, like trial and error. Can you talk about like when you're working with an athlete, um, injured or non-injured, and I know we can dig dive deeper into the injury aspect, but like how you go about figuring out what kind of foods that they need, like when they need them, just like give us, if anyone who's listening is curious and is like, I want to know more about like where to go to figure out like what works for me. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. You also hit a really important thing that I want to touch on before I I answer your question is food 1000% impacts your mood and your mood 1000% impacts your food choices. And (laughs) a lot of, (laughs) hi to your dog, (laughs) a lot of, you know, our nutrition choices And a lot of what I do with athletes is helping them make that connection of not only physically, how are you feeling in your body, but mentally, what is eating this lead to, or when you are feeling this way, is foods, is food a way that you are coping with it? And is that healthy? Is that okay? Because emotional eating is a thing and we all do it. And sometimes it's okay but sometimes it spirals. So having that conversation, just kind of recognizing those patterns is a huge part of nutrition counseling. And then, yeah, how do I work with athletes on their sports nutrition and know exactly what they need? So we can look at the energy demands of your sport and not to get super scientific, but your body basically gets its energy from three different systems. So there's your kind of low and slow engine. That's like, you know, if you're just going to go out for like a slow jog, you're going to get the majority of your, of your fuel from fat. Okay. Then there's kind of like, uh, what do I want to call it? Like that feeling, if you've ever run like a 400 and track, or you've ever had to run like a minute or two minutes flat out. And those last 30 seconds, you feel like you are literally running through a brick wall, right? That's your lactic acid building up. That's a different kind of system. And we're getting into like aerobic and anaerobic, but basically then you're looking at your carbohydrate availability within your muscle and we're leaning and relying more on that. And then there's the really quick energy snap of a finger. So jumping as high as you can, or again, if I'm going back to football, like that initial impact 
of just, you know, you need to put as much force and energy into something as quick as possible, which is, to be honest, what most team sports are. That's coming from creatine that's stored in your muscle. And we're still relying a lot on carbohydrates. And you'll hear us talk about that because these are not in isolation. They all kind of mix and work together. Um, but creatine is stored in your muscle and that's kind of that quick snap energy. So that's why there's a lot of studies on creatine supplements and all that kind of stuff. So one, figure out the energy systems that you need and how we can fuel for that. Two, you have to think about the duration. So this kind of falls into your energy systems too, but are you out on the field for two hours nonstop? Are you stop and go for two minutes? Um, is it something like gymnastics where you have like a vault that's 10 seconds long and then you get an hour before you have to warm up for bars? Um, then kind of all I care about is your carb and your creatine. But if you're going to go run a marathon, that looks very different. And then you also have to think about, you know, one, are we providing that and replacing it? But two, are we setting your body up in an environment to use it well. So I guess what I mean by there is, is your gut happy? So when I develop a menu plan um, for teams that I work with and we're building out a pregame meal, I never include things like cruciferous vegetables before a game because they make you gassy. And I don't want my players dealing with all that mumble jumble in their stomach when they're trying to jump around. So there's a lot of little pieces that go into it and things that you would never think about like cruciferous vegetables that again, make it so individual for the sport and for the athlete. That is so interesting. Um, I don't know that stuff fascinates me with creatine. Is that something that, and this is just like me not even knowing, cause all I think about when I think about creatine is like my guy friends who like go lifting are like, yeah, like gotta get my pump in. And like, is it something that you I know, I think you can make, can you, you can make it naturally in your body, but is it something that you can like ingest yeah. through food or is it like truly like you have to get it from like a powder source? Yes. Yeah, so first, a lot of people think about creatine in the sense that you said it's a gym bro thing because it makes you stronger. <laughs> well, it doesn't actually make you stronger. What it does is it's providing more of that fuel tank in your muscle. So you can actually pump out more reps. And that's why those guys are getting stronger. So again, creatine is used for topping off that energy source. We can get that energy source from food. It's mostly from meat um, and chicken and things like that. So my vegetarian and my vegan athletes, especially my female vegetarians and vegans, they tend to naturally have the lowest muscle stores of creatine. So they're actually the people that can benefit the most from supplementing because they can top off those stores daily and have a little bit of an extra push. Interesting. I'm actually pescatarian. So I'm like, hmm. Hmm, yes, um, you might be a candidate again, but it depends on your sport too. Yeah. And if we need that, that kind of storage system in place. Um, I want to come back to something that you kind of said throughout or like at the beginning of, of that explanation. And I want to talk about the relationship that you have or like athletes, humans, people have with food and how it can like positively and negatively affect you. And I want to talk about it in general as like an athlete, what you've seen. And also when it comes to, to injury. So like in terms of 
just like being an athlete, just being a human, like when you see people who, you know, come to you and this is just me like making, making things up, hypothetical, whatever, but like, there might be some red flags, right? Like, like you said, like emotional eating. And I, I'm a big believer in that. Like, I think food is one of the most, like your relationship with yourself is very important and your relationship with food is like even yep, more like it's, it's up there with it's it together. And, yep. Um, and can you just talk a little bit on that of like what you've seen, any like tips and tricks for people who might be in the mindset of like, oh, I need to like cut weight or like, I don't know, like how to heal that relationship or build that relationship with food. Yeah. Yeah. So first off, yes, there are a thousand things that go into the food choices that you make. And I'm a huge proponent that there is no such thing as willpower. I mean, yes, we have free will, but there, there are way too many people that get really, really harsh on themselves for, you know, not being able to eat perfectly, however they define that, or not being able to hit their nutrition goals. And you're not hitting your nutrition goals because of lack of willpower. You're not necessarily hitting your nutrition goals because you might not have access to the right kinds of food. You might not have the financial resources to the right kind of food. You might not have the skill set. So knowing how to cook, knowing how to grocery shop, knowing how to store your food correctly. If you don't like cooking, do you know alternatives of how to, you know, cook without cooking is how I call it. So basically like throwing things together. Um, There's all that physical stuff. And then there's all the history. So it's like when growing up, were your parents part of the clean your plate club? That can lead to, yep, that can lead to some, some subliminal thoughts about food as you get older or, you know, growing up, were you food insecure? So you didn't know where your next meal was coming from. So if there was food in front of you, you ate it. Um, and there's all of that, you know, kind of, I don't want to say past trauma because it's not that dramatic, but like, again, it's like subconscious you, learning. It's like you're, yeah. what you've learned subconsciously, it's like ingrained in you and you might not even realize. Yeah, it. exactly. And I've even seen athletes that have a mental block that they didn't even realize and they were, you know, sabotaging themselves and their nutrition goal because they were scared of the conversation their coach was going to have with them when they hit that goal. If that makes sense, like their coach wanted them to lose some weight. They were scared of losing that weight because that might prove to them that their coach quote unquote likes them better at a different weight or, you know, however that looks. Um, And, you know, in an, in an extreme sense, some people feel like you become a different person almost Uh, When you, you know, we're talking about more extreme weight gains or weight losses here, but like, unfortunately, the society we live in treats people differently based on how they look and people are scared to see how they might be treated differently, whether they know that or not. So there's a lot of subconscious stuff going on. Um, And then I've totally forgotten the other parts of your question. With injury, but I, I actually... I, I want to ask a question in terms of like, I I'll say that I'll like foreshadow. I've never had an experience where I've needed to 
like I've been told to cut weight or to, to make weight, but I've, I've had wrestler friends growing up. I had, you know, friends who played sports in college who were told like lose the weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and my question is, is like, do you, and I'm putting you on the spot here. Sure. Like, do you think that's like, like what other parts of that conversation need to be had other than just like lose the weight? Because I think to me, like if I were to hear like lose the weight, I'd be like, what the heck is wrong with me now? Versus like, Hey, I think if you ate a certain way and you fueled your body a certain way, you might end up, you know, going up a little because your muscle gets better. You lose a little bit of fat, but like that the end goal is for you to perform. Like how, uh, do you get what I'm kind of like getting yes, at here? I know. Yes. And I'm going to okay. answer this in three parts. One, I'm going to tell you a quick story that really sucks and is why I'm a dietitian pretty much by this one comment. Okay. Two, I'm going to talk about all the different factors that can affect the number on the scale mm-hmm. and how fast or slow some of them, them can move. And three, I'm going to tell you all the other factors minus your weight that can affect your performance. That should be part of this conversation. I love it. Okay. I, and help me remember that. Cause I'm going to get on a roll. Okay. Here. Okay. So I was a cheerleader in college, um, which is a little bit different than, uh, most sports. I like to say I wasn't really a student athlete. I got to have all the fun with half the work. Right. But we had a conversation with our coach and she said, if you don't like the uniform, they're not changing. So change your body. And that One was really hard for me to hear, but two, that led a teammate of mine and a very close friend of mine down a very dangerous path. And she ended up in the hospital and it was, yeah, it really sucks. And I think there are tons of stories out there like that. There are tons of stories of men and women, um, because I've worked in men's sports and those guys are just as brutal, if not worse, and it's accepted and nobody talks about it. Um, like I have walked into a weight room before where the strength coach is taking weights and there's one athlete that everybody kind of knows is working on his weight. And the strength coach just goes, Hey fatty, let's step on the scale. See how fat you are today. And I just looked at him like, yes. And that's normal. And everybody kind of laughed. So yes, it's very normal and it sucks. And there are a lot of really awesome people out there working hard to try to change this culture. Um, but it's, it's slow moving. So number two, all of the things that can go into your weight on the scale. Okay. Remember that you are not just a sack of fat and muscle, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, There's bone in there. There's tendon in there. There's, you know, a big solid brain in there, hopefully. Right. Um, There's all that kind of stuff. So keep that in mind. And that fluctuates just like your fat and muscle can fluctuate to the scale itself is a tool and it's not perfect. Every scale is different and every scale is going to tell you a different number. So I can step on one scale and be one number and then step on the scale right next to it and be 5% different. So keep that in mind. The time of day that you are weighing yourself makes a huge difference. So you're, you're going to be different in the morning than you are at night. You're going to be different before practice than you are after practice. You're going to be different the time of year or the time of month for women. Your cycle can have a huge impact on your weight. And then 
there's obviously water weight. So I have seen, I had one football player who was a huge sweater. Like this dude could sweat. And we weighed our football guys before and after every practice because we were really worried about hydration. And that's the only, like, that was the only reason we were weighing them. And before practice to after practice. So it was like a, probably three hours in August in Virginia. So it was hot. And this kid would lose 18 pounds. Holy sh! What? Yep. I didn't even know that was possible. Yes. Now, 18 granted, pounds? It was, you know, a 300-pound kid. So if you look at percentage, it's a little bit different. But still. So I've had a coach one time that told me he wanted a player to be X weight. And, you know, he wanted him to be that weight by you know, two weeks. And I was like, I can make him that way by tomorrow. If we just put him in a sauna, do you think his, you know, skill on the field is going to be any better? Um, so that's a conversation to have about water weight. And that's obviously going to fluctuate. And then you kind of alluded to this earlier, you can lose fat and gain muscle. And that could potentially be helping your athletic performance but the number on the scale is going to be different. So there are so many other factors that are going to that number on the scale. And um, the ones that move fast, like water, are not typically the ones that we care about. And the ones that move really, really slow, like fat, are what people think is actually changing. So like to put that in perspective, if I'm working with an athlete to gain or lose weight, typically our goal is like, five pounds a month because you can gain fat fast, but you can gain muscle slow. You can lose muscle fast and um, lose fat slow. So the slower you go, the better it's going to be. And the faster that that weight loss or weight gain is happening, the much more likely it is it's just water. quick break and I'll be back with Emily in a second. I'd like to take a moment to talk about Morgan's message without whom this podcast would not be possible. Morgan's message is taking a shot at mental health through amplifying stories and providing resources to student athletes. To get involved with Morgan's message, to learn more, head to morgansmessage.org or follow along on Instagram at Morgan's message. With that, let's get back to the episode. I mean, great, great three points. Those are great. Um, I feel like, and this is, this is just my opinion and I'll stick to it. I don't think it's healthy for coaches or people in positions of power to say you need to lose weight. I think it's extremely inappropriate. I think it's detrimental to young men and women, especially if you're like in, I mean, any, any age, I think it's just. Agree. And like, I think that's something that definitely, I mean, even talking to you, I know that you're, you're working to change it, but I think it's like the conversation shouldn't be, you need to cut the weight. It should be, I want you to perform. How can we get there? Because, you know, I feel like a lot of times it's not, I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Like, like you said, like, it's not necessarily about 
the weight, right? The number it does like the number I've always found in my, in my life in general, I, I don't even look at a scale. I like was a little bit off my rocker for like a few months after my like Mm -hmm. second hip surgery where I was like so crazy about it. And it, it got like toxic. And I was like, I'm throwing out the scale. The scale doesn't matter. I refuse to step on it. And instead I would focus on how I felt. Like I'd have like daily check-ins and I'd be like, did I feel good eating that meal? Did I not feel good? Did I perform well? Like, am I able to do all my homework or am I groggy during the day? Am I getting a good night's sleep? Like, and that to me, like looking in the mirror being like, and like internally being like, okay, I feel good. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm standing tall. I feel strong. I'm not like, ugh, like, I don't know. I just went on a tangent, but yes, no, but you've perfectly led me into you know, again, a reminder, that's why most of what I do with my athletes is helping them connect to their body again and how they're feeling. And I don't, I don't weigh any of my clients right now. I don't care about that. Um, and you know, the other thing you said, oh, university of Oregon just made a student athlete school-wide policy that they can't weigh their players, which is freaking awesome. That is amazing. And if your coach comes to you and said, I want you to be X weight, here are some things that you can say. One, where did they get that number from? One, if it's not a range, that's a red flag already. Like if they're saying, I want you to be 150, like uh, I can wake up 150 and I'm going to be 155 by the end of the day. So like, can that number at least be a range Two, what, what is making them come to that conclusion? Are they just like, well, I was 150 when I played. So that's what you should be. That's BS. Um, and it's hard to call your coach out on that, but you know, push them a little bit on where they're getting that number from. And if it's coming from science, like say they've, they've done a body comp on you. First off, your coach should never be doing a body composition on you. It should hopefully be coming from your dietitian, maybe your strength coach, Um, but your coach shouldn't even know those numbers, but your strength coach might be coming to you and saying that they want you at a certain weight. And if you're going off that body comp, um, are they comparing it to like kind of generalized data within your sport? So there's data out there that says like, this is what each NFL player looks like at each position. And there are some coaches that'll be like, that's what every single athlete should be. Well, I can give you an outlier of every single one. And I can give you plenty of examples of athletes that have gotten to that weight that the coach wanted them to be at. And it made them play significantly worse because it was so hard for them to stay there. Right. And then, so yeah, where did they get that number from? Doesn't mean anything. And then talk about actual performance markers. So is your power good? What are your, what are you lifting in the weight room? Is that good? Is your speed where it needs to be? Is your skill set on the field where it needs to be? Is your mental skill and, and your attitude and teamwork and all of that stuff where it needs to be? If that is like grade A good to go, why the heck does your weight matter? Right? It doesn't. Right. Like, so it's, let's yeah. look at actual numbers that mean something. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor's office, this is a big problem in like the general population where they'll go to the doctor's office and their blood work is perfect. Their blood pressure is perfect. There's no signs of illness with them, but the doctor will be like, 
I need you to work on losing weight or like whatever it is. There's no, there's nothing to back up that conclusion. That's bad science. We need to have some numbers. It's just, yeah. I, yeah. I feel like weight and diet culture is just, I mean, even like comments like, Ooh, you might need to like shed a few. It's like, what? Like why? Like, I mean, I, for example, like at this point in my life, I'm like, my body is the way I'm very, I'm very thankful because I'm 26 and I look back at how I felt at like 21 and I'm like, I feel so much better. Like my body's there for me every day. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily like I look better. I think I look better because I'm more confident in my body. And I finally embrace that. Like the way I looked as an athlete was different than every single girl in my grade. Like none of us had the same body type because we're, we're made up of completely different genetics. And for the longest time I was like, Oh, maybe if I looked like that, I could like run faster or do these things. And like, that's just not, I mean, that's just not the case. Um, but I think that it like perpetuates a cycle when, you know, coaches or whatever, like, yeah, you should shed a few or like, Ooh, maybe if you ate like that person, like you'd perform better. Like, I don't know. Um, well, I do know, but I, I want to get <laughs> into, tough. yeah, it's tough, but I want to get into, well, first anyone listening, you're beautiful the way you are like, <laughs> and, and like figuring yes. out like what works for you is the most important thing and making sure you just feel good every day to like show up and do whatever you need to do is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, I think, but, oh, sorry, you go. I think too, I'm going to spiral off of that. You know, you don't have to feel beautiful every single day, like yes. body neutrality. If that's where we're starting and that's what we're trying to get to, that is perfectly okay too. If you hate your body or you hate a certain piece of your body right now, I just want you to try to get to a point where you feel neutral about it. And just like the rest of your emotions, like if you're, I'll be personal here. My, I have a very uh, like rhythmic menstrual cycle. And I know that two days before my period starts, I'm going to have a bad day. I'm going to be in a bad mood. It happens every single month. It is what it is. I am 28 years old. This is the data I've gathered on myself. And when that day hits one, I know it's coming. And two, when I'm annoyed, I'm like, all right, I just got to ride this wave till tomorrow. I'm not going to schedule a job interview for today. I'm not going to go on a first date today, all that kind of stuff. Right. If you wake up and you have a really bad body image day, like you're looking in the mirror and you're just like, that is <laughs> we all like, have them. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's normal to have that. Everybody has that. Your favorite body positive social media influencer has that. But understand that that is an emotion and you can ride that wave just like everything else. And a good body image day is right around the corner or a body neutral day is right around the corner. Just don't let those super negative thoughts spiral, right? So catch that you're being, you know, a jerk to yourself and try to put a big stop sign in your brain. I, yeah, I love the body. I haven't heard like, body neutral like that. I like that. I'm going to take that with me. Um, that also made me think about like, I forget what clip it was, but I saw this clip of like Tom Hanks talking and he, he was like, my favorite piece of advice I've ever gotten is like this too shall pass. Like you're feeling crappy today. Like this too shall pass. You're feeling really good today. Like this too shall pass. (laughs) Like things like come in waves and they ebb and flow and like, just be patient with yourself and have grace with yourself and understand that like, I don't know, you know, it's, it'll go up and down. I love what you said though. Um, And it goes up and down for everybody. Like 
yeah. nobody nobody is happy every single day nobody is like absolutely in love with their perfect husband or wife every single day nobody you know it just <laughs> everything works in a, in a cycle yeah I think I think with that too like it's hard I've even found myself like with social media and I feel like it's gotten like now that I like know some people personally on social media who are like, I guess like quote unquote influencers, like I see like the inside of like, they aren't happy every day, but you, it seems like they are like, yeah. it seems. And I love that social media now is getting more authentic and it's more yeah. like, Hey, I am having a shitty day. Like I cried today. I did this yada, yada. Um, but I think that's, that's also another piece that can play into like body image, but I do want to get to injury and yeah. I want to talk about when you're injured and I'll bring up my personal experience. So like shocker for anyone who has listened, like I've had hip surgeries. Um, that's, that's my, not my, not my only characteristic, but it is, it is, uh, <laughs> something that I've gone through and I know I was really nervous about like any, I feel like very like average college kid does not want to female does not want to be gaining weight. Like I like God bless, like the fall when we were lifting and my favorite jeans wouldn't fit. I was like, God freaking, you know, and then the, Mm -hmm. like the spring would come, I'd like shed the muscle. I'd be like, yes, I can get into my jeans. So with like my surgeries, I was like my first one, I was really nervous about gaining weight. So I didn't necessarily, and I didn't work with, um, anyone like at, Duke in terms of like my nutrition. Um, and I wasn't like given any tips or tricks. I just kind of cut back on what I was eating. Um, because I was like, I'm not expending that much energy, even though I'm like, your body is literally healing your hip socket. Like, what do you mean? You're not (laughs) expending energy doing, um, fast forward, didn't heal well. Cartilage was deteriorating, like didn't work out. The second surgery I had, I spoke with like, you know, a few, like my surgeon, um, I don't know if it's a dietitian or a nutritionist, but anyway, I was like, I think they were like, let's take gluten out because gluten's an inflammatory, like, Mm. let's just like remove it. And that to me, I was like, okay, like I'll do it for like a month or two and see how it goes. But other than that, it was more so like, I'm going to intuitively eat and like, I'm going to try to eat cleaner, like more vegetables, more this, more meat, like, and I get your face is like, ah, so I don't know if I'm like saying good things or not good things, but like moral of the story, I did find out I'm gluten intolerant. So like, okay. So that God worked bless. For you. it worked out. Yeah. I got, yeah. I got tested and it was like, yeah, you're gluten and you shouldn't be eating dairy. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Why yeah. like nights after I would go out, I'd be like, whatever. Um, <laughs> but so that did work out for me. Obviously everybody's different. Like I'll say that. Um, but I did see a big difference in my recovery when I was really focused on fueling my body and like, yeah, you're saying so much here. That is so the reason that I, I went into injured athletes. So one, you said you didn't feel like eating or you didn't feel like you, I, you didn't say deserved, but a lot of athletes will say, I feel like I don't deserve food I didn't, because I'm I not like doing anything to it. earn it. Yes. Yeah. But you also said you recognize that your body was healing and there are so many things that go into the calorie puzzle 
outside of your sport. I mean, the biggest one is just maintaining your function. You know, is your brain running? Is your heart running? Um, are you kind of like rebuilding all of your tissues every day? Is your immune system working? That is the majority of your calories. If you sat in bed and watched Netflix all day long and you did nothing, that is still, you know, the majority of where your caloric expenditure is going to come from, just keeping your body up and running. Okay. So just because you feel like you're not doing anything, your body is working very hard to recover. It was physically just cut open and stitched back together. So it's trying to heal that. And when your body goes through, you know, a physical trauma like that, your resting, you know, calorie expenditure, your basal metabolic rate can actually go up. So most athletes, they got, they get the same messaging that you get. They're like, cut back. Usually it's like cut back on carbs, cut back on some of that, you know, pro-inflammatory stuff. And you got to where you were because you are genetically predispositioned to be a very hardworking, a very focused, a very dedicated person. And most athletes are like that. So they hear that information and they think very black and white and they go to an extreme with it. So they are eating nowhere close to what they need. They're not getting anywhere close to the carbohydrates they need because carbohydrates play an important role in your healing. And they've cut out all these food groups. So they're now missing some nutrients that they need to heal. So yeah, you have slowed down your healing process, which really sucks because now you're perpetuating this cycle of feeling shitty about yourself because you're in rehab even longer and nobody likes being in rehab. Rehab sucks. The worst. Right? So I think a lot of athletes get that messaging of like, okay, cut back, you know, cut the carbs a little bit, maybe cut out gluten. A lot of times like sugar is very villainized, all that kind of stuff. My messaging is for the most part, things are pretty much going to stay the same. And instead of focusing on everything you feel like you need to cut out, I want you to focus on adding and including the things that are going to help your healing. Okay. The very bottom of that pyramid, the base level of recovery is getting enough calories to do it. You cannot build a house with half of the bricks you need. You have to provide. I love that. I love that line. Provide your body the tools it needs to rebuild. Okay. So number one is you have to be getting enough calories. Number two, what are those bricks actually made of? They're made of protein. So you have to be giving your body enough protein to keep rebuilding. And what we know about muscle, especially after you get surgery is your muscle, especially if it's like ACL surgery or hip surgery or something like that, where you are either in a brace or you're like immobilized for a period of time, your body is getting a ton of signals telling it to break down and let that muscle waste away because it doesn't know that you're going to heal and try to come back to sports. It just knows that right now you have this extra limb that's not doing anything and it's, it's causing your body, you know, more calories to use. And our ancestors, when they were, you know, hunting and foraging, they didn't need that, right? So it's, it's getting all these signals to break down your muscle. So we have all seen those, you know, quad side by side of like, 
your injured quad versus your regular quad. And there's like a huge side difference. So getting protein in every three to four hours and usually 20 to 40 grams is especially in those first stages after surgery, the best defense we have to tell that muscle, actually, wait, we need you. We want to keep you. We don't want to break down. So getting your protein in is huge. And then I tell every athlete to take a multivitamin. It doesn't replace fruits and vegetables, but it acts as a safety net to make sure that you are getting those nutrients you need to heal. The biggest one is zinc. Every multivitamin is going to have a good amount of zinc in it. So those are my three things. Amazing. Um, <laughs> not that we're actually short on time, but I, I feel like I have so many more questions I want to ask. Uh, what have you seen in terms of like the mental to food connection? Like how, how important, and I think we kind of touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but how important is like what you're eating to your mental health? Um, so there are some biological connections there, like, uh, and this is a little bit outside my realm and I've, I've heard some scientific debate on it, but 90 something percent of your serotonin is in your gut. So a lot of people think that, you know, that has a huge effect on your serotonin levels. There's some people in the scientific community that are like, well, your gut serotonin and the serotonin in your brain are different. So uh, that's hard to make that connection. Either way, I think all, a lot of us can talk from personal experience and, you know, that's not scientific, but you know, your personal experience is valued and it matters when you, for some people, it's simply when you eat better and when you are making decisions that align with your values and your goals, you feel better about yourself. You feel more, feel more confident and you're going to kind of overall have a more positive outlook versus when you are not making decisions that align with your goals and you're not making decisions that align with your values or align with, you know, your rehab and your healing. Um, typically that self-talk gets a little bit more negative and that, that can spiral. And especially at a time right after injury where your world has been turned upside down, you feel like you're completely out of control. A lot of times you are isolated from your teammates because you've lost that, you know, entire aspect of your social life, you know, paying attention to how food is impacting your me your mental health is different. That's why this population is at a higher risk for developing some disordered eating tendencies or an eating disorder because they are fearful of what's happening. They feel like crap about themselves. They're isolated. They don't know what to do. They feel out of control. So they turn to food as something that they can control. And sometimes that's okay, but a lot of times that really spirals into not a positive thing. That is so interesting. Um, do you off the top of your head, like for anyone who, I guess like say like, you know, someone like sitting, listening to this, if they want to start like thinking about like what they're eating for their body and like, they might be having some of these thoughts that are like, this is the only thing in my control, yada, yada. But like, I don't know if like do it in a healthy way is like the way to phrase it, but like 
educate themselves on like why food is so important and like mm. how I I don't know where I'm going with this thought. It's like <laughs> it's right there, but it's not finished. Yeah. Like any I think, resources, I guess, to like learn more about it. Yeah. If you are in a situation where you feel like you're out of control with food. So whether that's out of control, wanting to control it or out of control, feeling uncontrolled around it, right? Like getting into kind of binge eating and stuff like that, which is, um, I don't want to say popular, but is very common among athletes because they, you know, restrict and then they are starving. So they eat everything in sight. Um, I think one, find a trusted family, friend, dietitian, coach, and talk about it. Um, Because anytime that you are feeling isolated or you're just in your feelings, anytime that you can find community is going to help. I think there's also a ton of really great information on the web. Um, So that's a big question. Where are you getting your nutrition information. Who are you getting it from? Are you getting it from a fitness influencer that every time you look at them, you feel jealous, you compare yourself, they make you feel like shit, their diet looks really restrictive, you know, that kind of stuff. That person might maybe need an unfollow. (laughs) Um, You should hopefully be getting your nutrition information from a sports dietitian. And there are tons of us online that are giving that kind of advice. So uh, there's one, the director at Purdue, her name is Lauren Link. She does Link to Nutrition and she'll do like a marketing madness Monday where she'll go pick something up at the grocery store and just be like, she'll just talk you through the label and be like, this is ridiculous. This is why this isn't science. This is why this is wasting your money. Uh, There's another woman who's a food scientist. Her name is, I think it's food science, babe. Um, and she does the same thing. So she will stitch um, someone on the internet that's like, this ingredient is the devil and the you know big food and big pharma are poisoning us um, and just kind of giving ingredients that are really scary. She'll stitch them and be like, actually, this is what that ingredient is. This is what it's doing in the food. This is what it's doing in your body. And this is why it's okay to eat this. And she's very straightforward and she's very honest. And she is a great person to get some information from. If you are feeling nervous or fear- fearful around specific foods or ingredients, she's a good one. Um, if people want to find you or get involved, or I know you you take on clients, um, what where where can they find you? What kind of things do you do? Give us, give us your information. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so you can find me at injury underscore RD on Instagram and TikTok. And then I do take clients one-on-one. Obviously it's focused more towards um, injured athletes, but I work with all athletes. You can reach out to me. My website is injuryrd.com. Um, and that's one-on-one. And then we also have um, more of a mental approach and a, a group support system that meets. And we talk about, you know, everything we talked about here today, all the struggles that come with being an injured athlete, um, body positive stuff, intuitive eating stuff, um, and all of the, the mental piece of everything that just talked about. So you can find that, uh, a link to apply to that on my Instagram too, if you're interested in our mental mindset group 
amazing. Um, wow. I, I feel like I learned so much, but more importantly, I feel like anyone who listened to this and made it to the end, like has some really good, like learnings and takeaways, um, from having you on. So thank you just like so much for, for coming on and, and talking and even sharing your personal experiences. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Another huge shout out to Emily for coming on the mental matchup and just sharing and spitting absolute facts and knowledge and just being herself and being so authentic and talking about I think some of the most important things I think eating and food as a young athlete is so important to understand and really no pun intended um kind of digest and learn how important it is to fuel your body right if you want to perform you have to you have to do certain things in order to get to that level where your body is ready to show up for you which your body does show up for you every single day um and I just think you know talking about how she sets her players bodies up for success you know the different subconscious learnings and I think everything we talked about, it's so important and so impactful. Um, So thank you again, Emily, for coming on. If you want to learn more about Emily, you can head to at injury underscore RD or the injury RD online. Um, You can find out more about Morgan's message at morgansmessage.org or at Morgan's message on Instagram. And of course, you can follow the mental matchup at the mental matchup on Instagram or at thementalmatchup.com. Thank you again for listening and I will see you next episode.